Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. In this episode, I'm speaking with Warren Ebert, the founder and CEO of Sentinel Property Group, where he's executed over $2 billion worth of commercial property transactions with an average internal rate of return on those funds of close to 20% per annum. In this episode, we talk at length about Warren's career and what makes him such a matter-of-fact investor, and I think you'll enjoy his delivery style of calling a spade a spade. He talks about Casarina Square as an example of their methodology where they just look to make money. He talks about the investment and how the dynamics of Darwin and the shopping centre there will produce over 7% income for investors in an area often unloved by the so-called larger investors in town. Please remember that this episode, nor are any of the episodes that we record, specific advice or designed to be investment recommendations. People are encouraged to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and make their own judgments or receive advice before making any such investments. Please also remember that we have upcoming events that we'd like you to come along to. Those events will celebrate the 100th episode of the podcast. We'll have three of our most highly regarded interviewees attend in person and we'll record a 100th episode with them. So if you'd like to come along, send me an email at david.clark at codacapital.com. In Sydney, we'll be recording on the 24th of February and in Melbourne, we'll be recording on the 3rd of March. Please enjoy the episode. Warren Ebert, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks very much, David. Another beautiful day here in Brisbane. Well, we're trying our best today down in Sydney, but uh, hopefully we'll emulate uh, your fair weather. Um, Warren, perhaps you could, for the benefit of our listeners, kick off by giving us a, a bit of a, a background to yourself uh, personally and, and your background as to you know what's, what's really shaped you uh, as an investor and investment manager. Thanks, David. Uh, I commenced in the commercial property business in, in uh, September 1998 with uh, LJ Hooker. And at that stage, LJ Hooker, one of the largest real estate agencies in Australia. Uh, I was there for three years, went to a, a smaller Queensland company called PRD, and then ended up with uh, Richard Ellis, which subsequently became senior Richard Ellis. So I I work more in the uh, in the retail, the shopping centre area, but also in the uh, in the commercial office sector. Uh, in 1998, I decided to start my own business, got into into some development. I quickly realised that you either had to get bigger or, or, or get out. I worked with uh, with a company called Citymark Properties, a, a quite a large family-owned Brisbane developer, and I also did some consultancy work for a. Uh, for a property trust, and it was in, in doing that consulting for the property trust, uh, I saw what I believe was the wrong way to do things. I, I found that that stage, uh, uh, you know, the property funds were being run by non-property people, and you know, I, I think that property is a pretty relatively simple business. You know, people make it complicated. Um, you know, it's, it's bricks and mortar and tenants, and, and uh, uh, I try not to get into the financial engineering, look at the income, how sustainable is that. Uh, I did uh, quite a number of developments, shopping centres and offices when I was with City Mark in about 2006. I thought the market was just getting way too hot and I decided I wanted to be out of the, the, uh, 
property market development sector by the end of 2008. So all the properties that I had interest in, I sold them with the last one settling in September 2007. I'm not saying that I forecast a GFC, but there was just too much money, too much hot money around by people who were, had been out of university for a couple of years and because they were, were, were uh, making money, thought that they were, were the gurus. And for me, that was, uh, was a little bit scary. So I decided to get out of it. And uh, yeah, we saw what happened in, in 2008-9. And uh, fortunately, I, I had a reasonable amount of money and, and I decided that I, I needed to invest my own. But even in a, uh, in, in, a, in a difficult market or something like the GFC, you know, well-leased quality properties still sell well. So, you know, I had the options of buying, you know, a couple of 7-Eleven, McDonald's, those type of things. But I did learn in my agency career that doesn't matter how good a property you think it is. You may have a 20-year lease to BHP and you may have it conservatively geared at you know, 30% loan-to-value ratio, LVR, and think, I've got absolutely no problems. And then you find the, the warehouse burns down. You think, well, that's okay, I've got insurance. Until the insurance company says, well, this looks like arson, so, so we're not paying. So something that is absolutely bulletproof, all of a sudden you're not getting your, your rent. Insurance will get paid eventually, but you've got a problem. So I realised that I needed to diversify, not put all my money into, into one or two properties, but to spread it amongst a, a, another, a number of assets. And as you know, a lot of investment advisors, you, know, you should diversify. So that's what I did. And... And I started uh, Sentinel Property Group back in, opened the office in 2009, settled our first property, 15th of January 2010. And, and you know, people seem to forget that, but gee, it was tough times back then. You know, I remember going to our uh, investors and, and uh, you know, one of our early investors said, if I can get 8% return on my money and get, my, get all my cash back in seven years, that's as good as I can hope for. So it was, was tough times and that certainly helped shape Sentinel when people said, well, how are you going to report to me so I know my properties are doing well? So I decided, well, the best way is to pay monthly distributions. So I was the first uh, property trust to pay monthly distributions. You know, our average investor, or the average age of our investors, sorry, is 64. Uh, and if they own properties themselves, they get monthly distributions. So uh, that's what I started doing. And what I found out very quickly is it makes you manage your properties differently. If you pay distributions six monthly, twice a year, we only have to have money in the bank twice a year. You know, whether you beg, borrow, steal, sell something. But when you have to pay monthly distributions the same day every month, you can't afford to have a reach. You have to actively manage the properties. And that stood us in good stead. Uh, our investors like that, um, yeah, particularly in, in difficult times in the stock market. Yeah, most of our people have enough money to retire but they don't like eating into their capital and they want to live off of, of the income. So uh, that uh, drove the business. You know, we bought over $2.2 billion worth of property uh, since that time. We've averaged 23.62% uh, internal rate return on our, on our retail properties over the 11, almost 12-year period, at 20% across the board. So uh, it's been an interesting journey, David. Um, and I suppose... I've probably gone on a little bit as to how I got into it, but I'll, I'll stop there and let you ask any questions you have. No, that's uh, very worthwhile and interesting. I, I will ask you one aspect of your background, which I note some of the papers seem to, when they report on you or talk, almost put it in there as a 
a bit of a, a jab in my interpretation, but I actually think it's probably a strength in that they'll refer to ex-cab driver Warren Ebert. But I, I reckon you might have learnt some things in that phase that have put you in good stead today. Uh, David, well, I suppose before that, I was in the horse business. I used to buy and sell horses in Australia, New Zealand and, and sell them in America. And uh, yes, I, I, uh, I was doing that, but then, uh, you know, my wife at the time was pregnant and uh, had a baby and I couldn't be travelling overseas, so I got into the taxi business. And uh, back then it was actually good, it was before these rotten Uber things got going, but that's something else. Um, so I did learn to, I, I worked very hard, and I think it doesn't matter what business you're in. As I say, whether you're a jockey or a, or a cab driver um, or, or a carpenter, if you work hard, you'll make money. And that's what I did. I worked hard, made money, and uh, I used to read a lot. And I was fortunate that I had, had quite a good memory for details. So I would read the financial pages and property pages, and you drive around and see the buildings, and I'd see what they sold for, and, and uh, I suppose self, self-educated. Uh, and I'd talk to, uh, talk to people in the cab. And, and uh, yeah, so I... Uh, I actually did a, a test through some of my account through an American university, and uh, it was like the, uh, oh, I call it Briggs and Stratton, but I know that's the motor, uh, my Briggs mm-hmm. test. Um, and it said that I, you know, I rated very highly for realtor. And, and uh, so that was uh, how I got into it. And, and it was in the taxis that I actually picked up a fellow um, who was then the state managing director of LJ Hooker Developments. And that's how I got into the into the property side. So it's um, you know it was it was an interesting journey, and, and I'm happy to talk more about that to anyone. But that's um, I just found yeah. that if you work hard, you ask questions, and have a good memory for detail. Um, yeah, so property isn't that difficult if you work hard at it. And and Warren, what what are the objectives of Sentinel, and and what are you focusing on achieving for clients within that business? Um, the objective is, is, is to keep investors happy, and, and that's not a throwaway line. You know, uh, you know, I've had plenty of investors say, geez, you're, you're the managing director, the CEO. I, I, other companies, I can't talk to the boss. Well, um, you know, we have, we're, the Ebbett family is the second largest investor in, in the Central Property Trust, and, and uh, yeah, the number one investor has got an enormous amount of money with it. So. I say to people, if you have a, a better place to invest your money, let me know because I'd be interested in looking at it. So, because everyone has my my phone number, um, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. The objective is, is to, um, you know, I, I wouldn't like to think that I'm a martyr, but um, you know, I really am disappointed with the amount of, of what we call, you know, the average mum and dad who lose money through through bad investments, and, and that's what worries me about times like this. Um, that you know that there uh, people get excited, and you find most people invest near the top of the, mar- the market, not the bottom of the market. Uh, and I really do not like seeing people lose money. You know that the people who have worked hard and trusted people. So my objective is, is just to make money for investors. It's it's pretty simple, and enjoy it. So we will. Uh, we're we're very long. We have 600 million invested in Mackay North, uh, and and we'll be over a billion. Uh, by the end of uh, end of February, and we, whenever we go somewhere, we'll have breakfast with investors or, or talk to them. Um, you know, I enjoy the business, and I think David, most you know, if you're enjoying what you do, it makes it easy. And I have to say, I enjoy 
the property business. You know, on holidays, I get very disappointed when we can't get the pen review every day and read articles. Um, you know, I find it an interesting business. So uh, that's it, the objective to make money for, for investors. And and, uh, and I tell you, it, it is enjoyable when you get the feedback from, and, and I've had people say that I have changed their life. And, and a, a friend of mine, he put 50,000 in for each of his daughters about uh, six years ago, a property we bought at Rutherford, just north of Newcastle. Uh, those girls got a 47% internal rate return over four years. They then were able to use that money to buy a to pay a substantial deposit on a house at uh, Kangaroo Point, you know, a kilometre from the from the uh, CBD, and it did change their life. So uh, it, it's not hard to do, and that I think I do get enjoyment out of it. Certainly a good story. Warren, perhaps we could talk about the Casarina Square transaction, uh, which is due to complete, I believe, just after in early January 2022. Perhaps you could talk about that as a way of showing um, or talking through to the listeners how you think about property and what you see as attractive and where you're, what, what type of things you look for and see as turnoffs on, on an investment if you'd like. So maybe you could talk the listeners through that investment, what attracted you to it? Certainly, David. I, you know, there's a, another fellow, Warren, a fellow called Warren Buffett. Most people have heard of him. Mm-hmm. And while people are now saying that he might have lost it, um, you know, he's a long-term investor. You know, it, it, you have the ups and downs. And, you know, one of his great sayings is you've got to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And mm-hmm. one thing that I found a long time ago, if you, if you do what everyone else does, you end up where everyone else is. So if you want to outperform the markets, whatever that is, or if you want to be a better builder, you have to do it differently. So uh, one thing that, that I have done is is I look at, at sectors, either by the type of use, whether that's industrial, retail, large format, or location. And, and I try to, and I buy where others don't want to buy because Sentinel is a yield-driven uh, business. We're not FUM. We're not trying to be the largest in the uh, in the country. We're trying to pay the highest distributions across the board to our investors. So we're looking for areas that, that are perceived to have problems. Uh, so as I said, with Mackay, Townsville, we bought our first property in Darwin about six years ago. Uh, when the, uh, Darwin went from about 84,000 to 155,000 over a 10 year period, uh, massive boom. Uh, there was a big project, Impex, which was an LNG uh, facility which most people have probably heard about. It was the largest private infrastructure project ever by a Japanese company and also a French company outside of their respective country. So massive project. So 84,155,000. That ended in 2017. Uh, it was devastating uh, for the area. They came back to 131,000. So we, as I say, bought our first one there in 2006, uh, sorry, 2016. We're Sentinel now the largest office owners in Darwin. So we've seen the downturn. We bought probably 80% towards the bottom or 90%. And we never missed any rent because that particular first property is mostly state government, or sorry, territory government, federal government, Red Cross, those type of agencies. So we, we look for that for security of income. So we saw the market come off. We then saw about two years ago the market starting to, to turn. And I think if you can buy within... 10% at the bottom of the market, either side and sell within 10%. Yeah, that's about as good as you should hope for. If you pick the peak, great, but you know, as long as you get close to it. So uh, when COVID hit, 
uh, I started to look for, for opportunities because it, 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 when things like that happen, you, you find the institutions will have a, a very uh, severe reaction. Um, and as we saw you know, in 2010, 11, 12, institutional, institutions made the decision to, to sell a lot of their commercial property, and that's when the buying opportunities were around, which we did well out of. So the same in, in Darwin, and particularly because it, it was, uh, or it is, isolated. Uh, you know, with, with only now 100, 147,000 people, you know, it's not as big as Townsville. It's half, it's half the size of Newcastle. You know, it, it's quite a small place. But we saw the tens of billions of dollars of projects that are going there. And, you know, I think with Sydney or Melbourne, you put, you know, 40, 50 billion into those areas and it's a lot of money. But, it, it you know, it doesn't make that big of a difference. But when you've got a, a, a population of, a, of 147,000 people, a massive difference. So we started looking for, for opportunities. And, and I was uh, on the Property Council Committee for... Uh, for about 10 years, and, and I, when we had a conference in Darwin many years ago, this Casarina shopping centre, um, it had the highest turnover per square metre of any shopping centre in Australia. Unbelievable. So I had a look at that and working out, because it just doesn't have the competition. So last year, when with the COVID lockdowns, I, I approached some agents at, at, at uh, JLL, James Lang LaSalle, that we do a lot of business with, and said, listen, I, when the opportunity's right, can you approach the owners to see if they would uh, if they would sell this? And um, you know, at the moment, the the big focus, as most people probably know, David, is on the industrial and logistics. Mm -hmm. So um, the owners of this property uh, decided they would sell, and, and they would would get longer in in logistics. So I, I'm you know I'm always counter cyclical. I'm looking to uh, to buy things that others don't want because you do get a you do get a discount. Yeah, whether that's a stock market or real estate, doesn't matter what it is. Everything has a value. You've just got to work out what the true value is and if you can get a discount for that. So with Casarina in, in particular, and this isn't being critical, it's just the facts. In, in 2018, uh, Casarina had a valuation of 645 million. We're buying it for 400 million plus another 18 million for, for, to do some other works on bus, bus station and everything else. So the, the property was written down in value by 35% because in, in 2020, the market was, well, I suppose 2019, people were concerned about um, online shopping and those things. You know, the international funds are wanting to get out of major shopping centres. So that was the COVID, drove the valuation down and a lot of people thought that retail was never going to recover. I had a different view. So while the valuation was off 35%, the turnover in the centre came off 11% from 381 million to 340 million. So when the population came back from 155 to 131, and the 131,000 people there wouldn't have been that confident spending money because they didn't know when the market was going to turn. Yeah, you know, I thought that was a, a massive discount. But what we then have seen in, in you know, I suppose from mid 20 on, is that the warmer climates. You know, particularly Queensland, Northern Territory, we didn't get COVID as bad. We didn't have the lockdowns. Uh, and because people couldn't travel overseas, couldn't travel other places, um, you know, in, in the state, that they started spending a lot of money in retail. So we had um, uh, footwear and apparel in the Northern Territory was up 26% year on year. While everywhere else is crashing, it's up 26%. And as I said, the, the turnover in Casarina about 340 million. It is on target to be 400 million 
by this Christmas. So it'll be up above the valuation in 2018, yet it's 35% below. I just think it's a massive discount. And, and one of the issues when you have a centre as large as Casarina, um, you know, overseas people say, where's Starwood? Which, which I can understand. You know, up until yesterday, no one from New South Wales or Victoria could get and have a look at the centre. So that was a real problem. So it has been a real challenge raising equity. But this is, is there would be no centre in Australia that dominates its market like Casarina does. Every man, woman and child in Darwin visits Casarina 5.1 times a month. I, I don't think there would be no other centre. Now, people can find that unbelievable. But if you get up there and it's 37 degrees and 90% humidity, I think you might be going to the air-conditioned shopping centre. And <laughs> you're certainly not going to be playing golf or, or running a triathlon. And this centre is five hectares under roof. So people go there, you know. Uh, and also, in addition to the, the, number, the number of visitations, uh, the average spend is $45, a very high spend. So it is a very special shopping centre, 12 hectares in the geographical centre of Darwin, you, know, you can't duplicate. People say, well, what happens when they build a competitor? Well, well you just can't. And I'm you know, happy to run through the whole reasons why with anyone. And there's an interesting article in the um, front page of the property section of the Financial Review about two months ago. In the United States in 1985, 15 cents in every dollar in every retail spend in America was spent in a department store, a Macy's, you know, Bloomingdale, Saks, that type of thing. It's now three cents. Now, it's prob probably the same here. So... If you have a look at it, the, the centres that have suffered the most are the ones that have the big department stores, Shemais and David Jones. Now, you know, Westfield, I think, are the best managers in Australia. Sorry, in, in the world. I'm not critical of, of them or the city at all. It's how shopping habits have changed. So if you have a look, it's those large department stores that have struggled. Not just special. You have a look at, you know, Solomon Lou's, uh, all of his Smiggles, um, you know, uh, the Cotton On Group. We have some fantastic retailers. They do very well. It's at apartment stores that have that have struggled. So you go to a centre like Katharina, it doesn't have um, a Myers or David Jones. So it hasn't been hit as hard. You, know, you have a look at some of the other great sales. Uh, um, Eleanor bought Clifford Gardens in Toowoomba, a great centre. No Myers or David Jones. Uh, Faulkner, a Melbourne investment group, they bought uh, a... Uh, $162 million centre on the north side of Mackay about two months ago. No Myra David Jones. So the active people are seeing that the centres that don't have your Myra David Jones have not been hit as hard. The other thing that, that, that was hitting uh, retail and people said was online shopping. Well, the only thing that online shopping has data going for it really is convenience. It's not cheaper. If you have a look around, you can buy things at shops cheaper uh, and sometimes substantially cheaper. But it's convenient. You can, you know, I don't know what you're doing this interview. You might, you might be ordering some, doing some Christmas shopping. If you are, you've left it a bit late. But so it's convenient. If you're in Sydney or Melbourne, you can get something delivered possibly that day or, 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 or certainly the next day. If, if any of your, your listeners want to Google uh, Amazon in Darwin, the average delivery time is 3.8 days. So there's a lot of balloon talk there, but they're wait, waiting a week or two weeks. So if, if you don't have the price benefit, and you don't have the convenience benefit, then you have no benefit. You know, at today, as we speak, there is no Amazon warehouse in Adelaide, and they've got 1.3 million. Now, I've no doubt they'll put a warehouse there, 
But if they don't have a, a, a warehouse in Adelaide at this stage with the 1.3 million, how long before one gets to Darwin where there's a, you know, under 150,000 people? So mm. when you look at why is Kazarina so good, the climate, uh, uh, the isolation, we, we don't get online, you know, and, and, and we are herd animals. You know, we're, we're here, people will go, you know, in Sydney chapels, uh, sorry, Melbourne Chapel Street or wherever they go, you know, Bondi in Sydney to have a coffee with their friends. Well, when it's 37 degrees and 90% humidity, you don't sit outside, David, you know. You want to go inside. So when you look at all of those things, you'd say, hey, no wonder Casarina is such a good deal. And then the other thing is, is, the, is the economy. You know, when you have a look at the tens of billions of dollars that are being put into the Northern Territory for, you know, defence reasons, uh, you know, you've got a lithium mine 90, 90 kilometres south of, of Darwin. You've got the $30 billion a solar facility that's getting built at Tennant Creek that will supply 20% of its electricity to, uh, to Singapore. You've got a $1.5 billion uh, prawn farm just on the NT side of the Western Australian border being funded by the Japanese, which will take Australia from a net importer of prawns to a, to a, a net exporter. You've had two uh, data centres announced in the last two months up in Darwin. They're putting in a high-speed cable, uh, the, the first, a new high-speed cable uh, Darwin to Singapore is complete. They send Singapore to Tokyo, Tokyo to the to the United States. Uh, the tens of uh, billions of dollars that are being invested up there long term. The Americans just building a, a fuel dump for 272 million dollars, which will uh, allow more defence training up there. The Japanese announced a couple of months ago they're going to put a permanent base in Australia. They didn't say where that would be. I'd expect it's going to be Darwin. I can't see it. You know, the the, the penguins aren't going to invade us from uh, from Antarctica. So. There's a massive list, and when you look through it, uh, David, it, it, it is phenomenal what's happening up there. But I can understand people don't know because most people in Australia would never have been to Darwin, let alone be there in the last 12 or 18 months. But it, it is... We have another four properties we're buying up there. In, in, in five years' time, you have people going to say, why the hell didn't we buy Katarina? It, it, it is the standout retail property in Australia, without a doubt. And Warren, yep, no, I appreciate it. And you talk about your focus being providing income and yield for your investors. What sort of income uh, or yield would you expect investors to earn out of Cash Arena? Uh, Dave, we're starting at 7% day one uh, because mm -hmm. with our investors, because most of them are, are, are individuals. Uh, if we wanted to do work on our properties to expand them, we've never gone to our investors to ask for more equity. Yeah, we buy a property on the basis that, that investors don't have more equity to put in. So people with a private superannuation fund, you can't assume that they've got another 100000 in six months to put in. So we'll only develop uh, the projects where we can have it funded uh, by banks or financiers uh, or from cash flows. So... We're putting away almost $4 million every year. So while we're paying 7%, we're putting away $4 million income every year to allow us to do, uh, to do some other projects. Now, initially, you know, architectural work, engineering, those type of things are funded out of cash flow. Before we develop anything, we'll make sure we have it pre-committed. So while it's 7%, uh, and for us, isn't enormously high yield, um, across the board, our average is about 8.5%. Uh, yeah, that's fund's been going on a little while. But I think when you look at the quality of development of Casarina, yeah, we are 
forecasting a 17 to 20% internal rate of return. You know, just mathematically, if you have a look at what value it was in 2018 uh, compared with the turnover and what the turnover is now and interest rates are much lower, I, you know, I, I seriously think this property is very mispriced and I don't know why this property won't return to evaluation, you know, in the 600 million, 600 plus within three years without doing, we can put another 54,000 square metres development on this site without without demolishing anything that's there. That's just on the open air car parks. So you've got that land for free to do that and that's what we call code assessment. So you just have to tick the box within the town planning. So 7% day one, you know, our view is, is within three to four years, we should be able to get this revalued and give a substantial amount of equity back to our investors while continuing to pay, you know, 7% plus, and say plus the capital growth. So, uh, you know, at the moment when most people are, are getting very close to zero, in the bank, and, and I was reading last week the Financial Review, the 10-year Bund in um, in Germany is at a seven-month low of, of minus 0.34, minus 0.34%. And I know people are talking about the inflation and interest rates going up. I see last night that, that uh, China cut the interest rates again. So there, there, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, and I know we will have inflation, and interest rates will go up one day. And people have been telling me that for nine years, and one day they will be right. I can't see them going back to what they used to be because just too many people have borrowed money at low rates, including every government in the world. They can't repay their debt when it's negative or zero. I don't know how they could repay it gets to, to, to 3 or 4%. So anyway, 7% day one, I think enormous capital growth. You have a look at uh, the, the GDP. The Territory Government uh, is targeting GDP, or gross state product, they call it, uh, was $26 billion last year to go to... 40 billion by 2030. So, uh, you know, I, I, for, you know, the family is a substantial investor, David. I think at 7% with substantial growth, um, yeah, I'm happy to have plenty of housing there. And Warren, who, who would you expect in that three to four years time frame is the likely buyer or what is the likely mechanism for exit? David, you know, what we're targeting is to make this a town centre. Uh, as I said, when, when every man, woman and child, you know, we have 8.2 million visitors. That's how you get to the 5.1 for the year, divided by the, was 130-something thousand uh, last year. Uh, we're, we're talking with the government about putting nurses' quarters, step-down facilities, a lot of other, lot of other things. You know, you look at the, um, at the superannuation funds, the, the weight of money, and we can't stop it, you know, even at the depths of... Of the uh, of the COVID, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars every week go into superannuation. You know, we've seen some of these big super funds buy you know, Sydney Airport, all of those things. Uh, you know, I, I think realistically, within five odd years, we do a couple of these developments. This property is pushing towards a billion dollar asset and a trophy asset. Um, you know, we have had discussions with quite a number of of overseas investors, particularly in in Asia. They haven't been able to get out and have a look. But with what the Australian Territory Government are doing, making Darwin a real focus, because, you know, within six hours of Darwin, you have 483 million people and 69 international airports. Yet we have just treated Darwin as an outpost. You know, you're six hours sailing by ship to Darwin. You know, I think in five, three, five, seven years, when we have a lot more people, 
it is more of an international focus. Uh, the bigger institutions, well, there is a lot, very large institution we're talking to who would love to be there, uh, but because of the of the pandemic, um, so I think I don't see an issue with with institutions. But to be brutally honest, David, I, you know, for my money, I'm not uh, I'm not looking at selling at any time in the future. You know, I think if you buy a trophy asset asset like Casarina, if that's the, not the type of property you want to keep forever for your children and grandchildren. I don't know what you're after. You know, it is an irre irreplaceable asset that you continue to build on. And, and when we've met with senior people from the government, you know, they have said, for Darwin to grow, Kazarina must grow. You know, it is the largest employment node in the Northern Territory with 12 to 1,500 people working there every day. So I see the, the, the you know, Sentinel with our funds, if someone wants to get out, through retirement or, or they want to give units to, to their grandchildren or, or charities or whatever they want to do, uh, we've never had any any problems with, with selling to other investors. You know, because they're a, a, an income uh, product paying distributions every month, we actually don't get many people wanting to sell. But when circumstances uh, require you to sell, that hasn't been an issue getting pe people out. Uh, and I expect that would continue to be the same. So, but this is an asset that, that, that we really are looking at adding value to, a substantial value, getting revalued on a regular basis, handing equity back to investors so they can go and invest in other, other opportunities they want while maintaining the distribution. So I really think this is a generational um, asset, and so I'm happy enough to have a discussion with anyone on, on why that is, but it is... Uh, you know, I don't see any other asset in Sydney or Melbourne that, that, that dominates like this, that there just isn't one, so. And, and Warren, you, you mentioned earlier in our discussion that you're a little bit fearful of some places at the market. What, what are some of those red flags that you'd be worried about um, when you see things being purchased at the moment? Uh, what, what are the areas that you think are a bit overheated and some of the valuations are a bit toppish? Uh, David, when I see people buying at auction sight unseen, and, and that's and that's on a regular uh, basis now. Yeah, they'll go to an auction with one of the large auction houses and they might want to bid on a, uh, an Ampol service station at, um, mm -hmm. at, at, at uh, Bathurst and they miss that. They bid on one at Geelong, they miss that. Then they're buying one at Townsville. So they just want to buy. Well, that is just dangerous. And, and what I've seen in, in these markets, um, as they get more heated, um, you know, in a normal market, we get properties under control. We'll do thorough due diligence to leases, the outgoings. And so many times we'll see an outgoing, yeah, the agent will say, net lease. And so there's no management. Oh, no, you don't pay for management. You do that yourself. Well, it still takes time. So um, you find in these markets that, 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 you know, with risk of offending people, the uneducated investors will believe what the information memorandum says from the agent, a net lease. You then find out that there isn't any property management. Or they might pay land tax on a single holding basis, and that's what most uh, leases require. Uh, but once you get into it over a certain level in, in a lot of states, the rate of your land tax goes up. So the net rent that you're getting um, isn't, isn't what you believe it was. Also, you get some of these leases with some of the national retailers, uh, where they might be a gross lease. You'll get a, an outgoing budget year one, which, which may be true, true and accurate on the day, but you might find that their uh, the rent might go up by CPI. But you know, over the last decade or more, 
your, your, your statutory, your land tax, your rates, your insurance has gone up much greater than CPI. So you actually find that your rent comes down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so th there's a lot of horror stories I see. Uh, you know, I know a property that sold up north the other day for 3.8%. Now, the tenant I know doesn't trade very well because I know it very well. Uh, the head lease is fantastic, but the tenant itself doesn't trade very well. Now, now, those buyers could not have seen it because of the lockdown. And they paid mm. $5 million. Now, on the positive side, they said they'll be dead by the time the lease is up. Well, you know, but that's not the way I look at things. So there's a lot of very worrying signs, but most people won't realise for, for some years. And then on the other side, David, I know they say, well, hey, listen, I'm getting zero in the banks. So I'm getting 3% on this. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I look for properties that you actually have to put a bit of work into because, you know, the passive investor just wants something they can throw in the bottom drawer. Um, you know, I always, uh, you know, one of my first meetings at um, training meetings at, at, at LJ Hooker with the, the CEO then, we we're all sitting on a chair and, and he said, everyone stand up, have a look under your chair. And underneath the chair, there was a, a dollar coin. He said, you know what that means? Oh, no, it means you've got to get off your bum to earn a buck. <laughs> and that's still true. You've got to get off your bum to earn a buck. So people who want something that they believe is passive, they will not see what the problems are. They won't go and inspect them. They, they won't see that you don't have the repairs and maintenance. And some of the leases will be uh, the repairs and maintenance done by the tenant. Capital works done by the landlord. But if the tenants aren't doing the repair and maintenance often enough, such as your air conditioning, getting that serviced regularly, you then have capital works because air conditioning is broken down. Well, if you would have managed it actively, you wouldn't have had that cost. So there's an enormous uh, amount of warning signs but David, no one is as blind as those who can't see, um, and it is pretty scary. So we just will not participate in those properties at those yields because there is zero upside. They're paying, paying a premium because they think they're risk-free. Nothing is risk-free. Um, we go up north. Yes, we've got to travel. We've got to get off our bum to earn a buck. Uh, but the, the, the yields we're getting are more than double. Yes, you have to work for it, but you get paid for work. Um, and, and the properties have got capital growth. You know, the, these assets that they're buying now in the threes, and, and some of them I've seen are in the 2%. How can there be capital growth then? So there's no capital growth. So you pay that at a 10% at a 10-year lease. What's that property worth when it's got four years to go? It's, it's very scary. Even, you know, I, I just really think that the people need to be careful if, if they don't know a lot about commercial property, that they really are better off investing. You know, as I said when I started, don't put all the eggs in one basket. If you've got a couple of million what you want to invest, spread it around. You know, put it in five or ten. You know, we have some, some I won't mention their names, you know, it's a, you know a, a financial author in Australia's written 20 books. He's in about 15 of ours. Puts the same in each, each, each fund we have. And Years ago, he said to me, Warren, don't try and pick winners. And David, you know, you would have seen that yourself. You put more in something and think, oh, geez, this is fantastic. Something goes wrong. You have money in one that you think, oh, I don't know. You put, a, you put some money in, hey, they hit gold or, or, or the ice, whatever it is, and they boom. So uh, no one can get things 100% right 100% of the time. So spread your investments, spread your risk. One thing that I, I like to... to to know is that our investors sleep well. Yeah, I know they don't want to wake up to see in the, in the paper in the morning that their investment's off 30%. Uh, they've worked too hard for it. So uh, I hope that answered your question, David.
Terrific. I think uh, we, we've hit a point, I think, there. That's a really good place to end it. And I think uh, using Casarina as an example of how you think about investment and go about it has, has been fantastic for our investors. Um, Warren, thank you very much uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Road. Anytime, David. Happy to say, happy to talk to your investors, and if they just want a bit of advice or my views on something, always happy to help out. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com. Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.